Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to the Believe in Raiders podcast from Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. We're joined by former Raider great Stanford route Stan. Raiders coming off their bye week. They host the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday, Silver and Black, looking to snap a two-game losing streak. Before I get to my first question, partner, first of all, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, early December, it's that time of the year, the holidays. Just had Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago. So, uh, man, this is one of my favorite times of the year. So uh, it's always a pleasant time for me. All right. Well, earlier this week, (laughs) (laughs) earlier this week, Stan, the Raiders head coach Antonio Pierce said the team needs to start the third quarter better. And his exact quote was, need to come out in the second half and start it like bulls. I'm not quite sure what that means. But anyways, uh, Stan, I was just talking to you before we started this. I can't believe this stat, but the Raiders have scored just 22 points in the third quarter on five field goals and one touchdown. And that touchdown was scored by the defense on a pick six against Detroit. So, Stan, let me ask you this. You played eight years in the NFL. How many in-game or even halftime adjustments can a team basically make in a small window to work with? And are teams adjusting that much? And is that the issue with the Raiders' third quarter struggles, do you think? Uh, well, for one, you can't really you can't install an entirely new system or an entirely new um uh, uh mechanism or any sort of play or anything like that during the during halftime, but you definitely can make adjustments where you're having, let's say, the Willie linebacker, instead of him being outside of the tackle, now he's outside of the guard or something like that. You can make minor adjustments that even though they're minor, they have big major implications as far as the results uh that it can yield. So it definitely is something that's very important. You look at uh, the best head coach of all time, regardless of what's going on with his team right now, you look at Bill Belichick. What is the one thing that everybody has always said about him? He knows how to what? Adjust, uh, usually uh, at halftime or in the second half. So that's something that's paramount into the success of a team. And you look at what Antonio Pierce said about starting off fast in the second half. That's what it's all about. You look at Going back to Bill Belichick, what does he always believe in? The two for one, getting a score right before the half and then have it, and then deferring. That way you get the ball at second half and that way you can rattle off 10, maybe 14 points before the other team even gets the ball or gets a chance to score. So it's all about the second half adjustments. It's not something that's major, but they're minute. They're minor little adjustments right here and right there that are going to have major implications and results. So, Stan, can I ask you this? Are the Raiders struggling to make adjustments because they have an interim head coach, because they have a first-time play caller on offense and Bo Hardigree, because they have a rookie quarterback? And I say that because at the same time, they also started two veterans instead of uh, O'Connell with Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer. So what are you seeing? I think think it's uh, a lot in totality. I think uh, the coaching could be better. Uh, I think that uh, obviously the players could respond better and the players could could uh, make sure that they also do a better job of executing whenever that time comes. So I wouldn't go and just point that at just one person. I wouldn't do that. I think collectively, because even before Antonio Pierce was the head coach, it's not like the Raiders were starting off the second half like gangbusters even before then. So that's why I'm not going to put all that on Antonio Pierce. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and just simply say, look at this team. D.A., look at the team. You have now a young quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. Before that, it was who? 
it was Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was damn near leading the league in interceptions. You got obviously Josh Jacobs. You got a Devontae Adams. Obviously, you have a Hunter Renfro. So those are three guys who were at the upper echelon, if not the top of their position, their respective position in the NFL. Let's go to the defense side of the ball. You have Max Crosby. And oh, that's right. It's really just Max Crosby. So are you really surprised at the Raiders not being able to come out of the second half and starting off on defense by gangbusters? All they have is Max Crosby. Let's always go ahead and make sure that we keep that in mind and make sure that we are very cognizant of that. So that's why when you ask that question, I can't just put that at one position. I can't put that at one, per at one person, whether it's ownership, whether it's the GM, whether it's the head coach, position coaches. I can't just put that at one person. I have to say that collectively, I think that uh, everybody could do a better job at starting fast to start the game and also within the second half. I'll throw Robert Spillane in there on the defense. I think he's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ages. Absolutely, yeah. yes. All right, let me get the promo read in here, then we can continue. And betonline.ag is your number one source for all your info, stats, news, and scores. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL, right? The UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games you play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use the promo code BLEAVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Stan, I want to continue with the Raiders offense, and I was checking out the numbers. Uh, today and it's staggering to me because you just mentioned all the names when you got Renfro you got uh, Jacoby Myers obviously Devontae Adams one of the best wide receivers in football you got Josh Jacobs Dan the Raiders right now rank 29th in total yards they are 31st in rushing 21st in passing per game 27th in points per game and just 27 percent in converting third downs are also tied for 27th in turnover ratio at minus seven and that like you said goes back to Jimmy G leading practically leading the NFL interceptions in a short time as the Raiders started. Uh, Stan, I said this earlier, they've tried veteran quarterbacks, they tried a rookie quarterback. Stan, I'm curious, you didn't mention the offensive line, and I'm wondering if it stops and starts with the offensive line. I thought they overachieved a year ago. The Raiders decided to stand pat, not really make any changes with that group. And I think we, the eye test simply points out that they have regressed and – I think it kind of stops and starts with there because you just talk, talked about all the talent they have in those skill positions. And I know the Raiders are playing with a rookie quarterback. So mm -hmm. am I am I way off base with the O line kind of starting and stopping there with the with the issues with this offense? Uh, no, I think that uh, we all know that everything it starts and stops with the guys in the trenches. You want to be a good football team, you got to be good up front. Whether it's offensive line and defensive line, being able to get penetration, whether it's uh, in the run game or defensive line being able to stop the run. So, uh, no, by no stretch, uh, that's where it all starts. So, you know, I think that it goes without being said, uh, or should I say it, it goes without saying that the Raiders obviously have a lot left for to be desired when it comes to the offensive line. That's part of the reason why Josh Jacobs has struggled at certain times this year, not being able to sustain the success that he's had within certain games. And I think that until that gets better, that's where you're going to always find yourself not being able to hit off all cylinders consistently. You got to be good. You look at the best team right now in the NFL. Who was that? The San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers have the top left tackle. 
in football. Trent Williams and everybody else on that offensive line is also playing very well at a very high level. It is very difficult to win in this league without having guys in the trenches offensively and defensively that are able to create pressure. And then we go to the defense side of the ball with those guys, the 49ers. Look at Nick Bosa. (laughs) You look at Armstead. They just traded for Chase Young not too long ago, and I can go all the way down the list. So that's something, obviously, when you look at us on the offensive side of the ball, not being able to get that push, not being able to have your running back run four yards before he's even touched, that's something that – uh. We definitely have to make sure that we can try to grow towards whether it's in the draft, free agency, or just simply developing players better. Stan, let me ask you this. Obviously, if the Raiders, you know, bottom out and they get a top five pick or top whatever it is, they're going to probably look at quarterback. I would assume that means Aiden O'Connell uh, didn't impress if they don't finish well. If you were the Raiders GM uh, after that, are you are you the type of person that wants to build your team? From the inside out, and what I mean by that is you're starting in the trenches, either the offensive line or the defensive line, and then working from there. Is that how you would attack it if you were the Raiders GM? Or would you just take the best player available? On the offensive side of the ball, you look right now uh, with with the Las Vegas Raiders, you have Devontae Adams, stud receiver. You have Hunter Renfro. You still got Josh Jacobs. So right now, that is what is the most lacking unit within the team, or should I say the offensive side of the ball, is the offensive line. I think that you give Aiden O'Connell, an offensive line, the level of a San Francisco 49ers, the Dallas Cowboys, maybe even the Philadelphia Eagles right now, I think Aiden O'Connell is able to play at a much higher level. I think he's able to go and now lean on the run game more. I think he doesn't have to worry about trying to get the ball out so quickly because he's got people barreling down his neck. So that's definitely a position that you want to start uh, whenever you try to build your football team. Yeah. Left tackle, right guard, those are two positions that you want to make sure that can play at a high level because if you don't have time to throw, I don't care who it is back there at quarterback. You look at Tom Brady in the 2007-2011 Super Bowls. He was going against the New York Giants. He didn't have time to throw. Tom Brady didn't look as good. So that's something that no matter what quarterback it is, you want to make sure that the offensive line is a position that you address. Now, it may not be the first thing that I address within the draft, but it's definitely going to be a very, very high priority. All right, just ask Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. He had no time. Exactly. And look who ended up winning that Super Bowl. All right, Stan, I want to stick with the quarterback, and I want to talk about Minnesota's uh, Josh Dobbs. He's going to be their quarterback, despite the fact he's turned it over six times in the last two games, which both resulted in losses for the Vikings. Uh, The two losses were by a combined three points, so despite the issues, they were still playing close games. Stan, he said something very interesting, and I wanted to get your take on this. He said he had an interesting conversation with his coach, head coach Kevin O'Connell, during their bye week, which was the same as the Raiders. He texted O'Connell and said, you know, I want to go over first and second down game plan because I don't want any questions or hesitation on the field. I want to go out and play as clean as possible. So, Mm -hmm. Stan, let me ask you this. Do you think, I mean, this sounds like a quarterback and a coach who want to be on the same page. Do you think that Garoppolo, or I'll even say Hoyer, or even O'Connell, because he did start with Josh McDaniels, were ever on the same page as Josh McDaniels? Because he was not only the head coach, he was the offensive coordinator as well. And two-part question, that's the first part. And do you think O'Connell right now is on the same page with offensive coordinator Bo Hardigree? I think the... Uh, the the first one, uh, do I think anybody was ever on the same page as Josh McDaniels? I, I I would probably venture to say no. Okay. But I also think that a lot of that just simply comes from 
chemistry. Whenever you're around somebody uh, a, a, a certain length of time and things like that, that's when obviously you're able to go ahead and get to know them better and understand exactly what they like, how they want things. You're able to collaborate and decide, okay, you know what? I don't really care too much for this. You know what? You care a lot for that. And I, I think it just takes time. And very seldom do you see any coach and quarterback getting on the same page in a short time and let's say the first year. They may play well, but it's not going to be simpatico. It's not going to be like Bill Belichick and a Tom Brady, or it's not going to be like a Drew Brees and a Sean Payton. And I can go all the way down the list. It's going to take time. That's number one. I think for number two to your second question, I would like to think that Aiden O'Connell and the offense coordinator right now are on the same page, but Aiden O'Connell is a rookie. He hasn't started all year long. So I would venture to say they might be, I'd say maybe within the same area code, okay. but as far as being on the same page, it's going to be very difficult because quarterback coaches or play callers, they have a certain way that they see the game. They have a certain way that they like to call plays. They have certain plays that they like. Well, the quarterback may not like those certain plays. You go all the way back to the 2015 season, and it was Peyton Manning, and it was Gary Kubiak. Gary mm -hmm. Kubiak was more of a guy who wants to be under center, stretch run game, turn that into play action, get your big plays down the field like that, under center. Peyton Manning loved being in the gun. So they had to try to get on the same page or at least try to find a way to go ahead and blend both of their philosophies. And obviously it came together. They wound up winning the Super Bowl. You look at the 2020 season with Tampa Bay. You got now, you got Bruce Arians who loves to go down the field, mm -hmm. take shots all the time. And then you got Tom Brady. He's willing to go and throw the entire length of the drive, throwing checkdowns and just let the running back go, catch the ball, make a few people miss, boom, seven-yard game. It's now second and three. They're playing in front of the chains. He'll go and throw the check down again. Boom. We now got a first down, and I haven't thrown downfield not one time so far in this drive. And then you saw their bye week. They came together. They had a meeting of the minds. They decided, okay, you know what? This is what we're going to take out. I don't really like this. Bruce Aaron's like, okay, you know what? Well, I'll give you this, but you give me that. And then so forth. And it just takes time. And you look at Bruce Arians, obviously, he's been a great play caller, great offense coordinator for this in this league for a number of years. Tom Brady is the GOAT, and it took them time to get on the same page. So you look at Aiden O'Connell, and right now the play caller for the Las Vegas Raiders, for them not to be on the same page right now is not any stretch. It's not any surprise because you look at those other guys who were Hall of Famers and how long it took them to get on the same page with their head coach, it's not anything that's a surprise to me. Dan, you played eight years on the defensive side of the football. Let's flip it over to that side. How long does it normally take for you to get, I mean, and you went through a lot of coaches playing for the Oakland Raiders, yes. to get in line, to get on the same page, to have that kind of uh, connectivity or however you want to describe it with your defensive coordinator? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, luckily, we played a lot of man coverage uh, for all my years in Oakland, so it didn't really take a great length of time. It's just more so understanding the technique and uh, having the mental capacity, the mental fortitude to play in man coverage uh, for so many snaps and being able to still play at a high level and being able to fight off. Let's say you get beat on a play in the first quarter, not getting too down, being able to still come back and make plays in the fourth quarter. So from that standpoint, it really didn't take much getting on the same page. It was more just the mental fortitude of the actual turmoil that you'll be going through out there on that football field, playing a lot of man coverage against those great receivers. But I, but to your point, to your question, yeah, you look at a lot of great defenses, they'll play good in year one. 
it's year two where you probably see the biggest jump because now you're understanding what that D coordinator wants. You're understanding why he's calling the game the way that he's calling it. You're starting to see the game through his eyes and vice versa. And then that's when everybody really can get on the same page. You look at Steve Spagnola, obviously his years with the New York Giants, what he's doing right now with the Kansas City Chiefs, things like that. So usually it's that second year where guys make the biggest jump, or should I say the greatest leap, as far as understanding the play calling and vice versa. Jeez, Dan, you had, I don't know how many different head coaches with the Raiders, but you guys always played <laughs> a man-to-man defense. I wonder where yes. that mandate came from. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know where it came from. <laughs> oh, God rest his soul, the great Al Davis. Yep. Uh, Stan, we're talking wide receivers, and for the first time, uh, Josh Dobbs is going to have a tremendous weapon as his disposal. It's Justin Jefferson who returns to the field. He missed the last seven games with a hamstring injury. Dan, when you watch this guy, what makes him so good? And if you're Patrick Graham, I know the Raiders have been playing a lot of zone. Do you zone him? Do you try to mix it up? How do you try to, let's just say, limit the big plays for Justin Jefferson? Oh, wow. Uh, what makes Justin Jefferson so great? Uh, for one, he's got great ball skills. He's got a huge catch radius. I feel like he's somebody that can run pretty much every route on the route tree. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's quick off the line of scrimmage. So it's very difficult to get hands on him. And I just think that he's just an all-around football player, you know, uh, 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 tried and true. I think that uh, you look at his his 2019 season at LSU, that was a monstrous year. And to think he didn't even win the Blitnikoff because Jamar Chase won it that year. So uh, he's somebody that he he can he can do everything. Obviously, he can go over the middle. He can be one-on-one coverage. He has a nose, or should I say an eye for zone coverage, being able to sit it down in the soft spots, things like that. He's able to go ahead and make you miss after catching the ball while he's out in space. I think that he's a complete receiver. You look at the Devontae Adams of the world, he's right up there with them, or the Stephon Diggs, also a Jamar Chase, his college teammate, as I already outlined. So playing a guy like that, Obviously, you're going to have to try to get hands on him. You might want to run some bracket coverage to his side of the field, maybe always put a safety over the top. But I think ultimately, to stop Justin Jefferson, that comes with up front. you got to be able to pressure the quarterback because if the quarterback has time to throw, Justin Jefferson is going to find a way to get open. Uh, You look at Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, for many people, think that he's a quarterback that is the bottom third of the NFL. Some people think he's great. Some people think he's trash. I would put Kirk Cousins probably somewhere around the middle pack, maybe somewhere between 10 and 16, as far as if I'm ranking all the quarterbacks in the NFL from 1 to 32. And mind you, Justin Jefferson is doing this with a non-elite quarterback. So that just goes to show exactly how great he is. I think you're going to have to find a way to pressure the quarterback, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands very quickly, not on time, not in rhythm. I think that's really the only way that you can stop a Justin Jefferson unless you have a Darrell Revis, a Deion Sanders, somebody like that, and the Raiders don't have that. No, they don't. Let's hope that uh, Max Crosby is healthy. He's had a couple weeks uh, to recover, and let's see if he can have a tremendous impact uh, against the Vikings this coming Sunday. Stan, I read a, a remarkable stat, and I had to read it five times just because I can't believe it's true. Did you know the Raiders have committed the fewest penalties in the league? I mean, I can't even remember the last time I could ever say that. <laughs> uh, no, no, 56, I can't, that's it. I kind of, for some reason, I can't because as I've watched the games this year, now that I think about it, I have not seen a lot of penalties. Now that I think about that. So it's not completely surprising. It's actually a very pleasant one. 
Uh, but yeah, that's that's a positive step in the right direction because you look at the better teams, the better teams that have the better records are usually the lesser penalized team. Maybe mm-hmm. not the least, but they're the lesser penalized team. So I think that right there is a good step in the right direction for positive uh, positive vibes. Yeah, it's the fewest they've had through 12 games since they were in their second year of existence, 1961, when they had just 43 penalties. Um, Stan, I want to switch over to college football now before uh, we get a uh, prediction for Sunday's game with the Raiders-Vikings. Uh, you've spent a lot of time in college football. Mm, the final yes. four is set. We've got uh, Washington, we've got Michigan, we've got Texas, and we have Alabama. And looking outside, uh, undefeated 13-0 and Florida State team did not get in. I want your thoughts on what you think of the final four matchup that college football decided to go with. The committee decided either to way, choose. E- either way, they were going to get it wrong. Either way, just because going into that weekend, I felt like Alabama had a good shot of beating Georgia just because it's Alabama. So that's number one. Number two, you look at how Oregon, Oregon is a very good team. They just happen to be in the same conference as Washington. <laughs> you look at Florida State, obviously, them being undefeated. It's very difficult to tell somebody undefeated, hey, we know that the rules and the guidelines behoove you if you win every game. That's how you get ranked high. But uh, we don't really like the way it looked. So we're not really going to put you in there. So because it's only four teams, there's no way that they were going to be able to get all the teams that were fully deserving within four. They just weren't. Next year, it's going to go to 12. So I think they'll be able to, by default, get it right then. But what messed up everything, DA, was Alabama beating Georgia. Right. Because with Alabama beating Georgia, well, now Alabama just beat the number one team. So that means they should be a top four team. They just beat yep. number one. And then UT is going to be, uh, 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 wait a minute, uh, 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 that same team that just beat Georgia, the number one team who's top four right now in the, in the NCAA, uh, we beat them in week two at their house. And so once Georgia lost to Alabama, I knew this is about to go haywire. And the NCAA, the, 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 the college football playoff committee, they made a mistake a couple weeks ago, and I believe it was uh, – Heather Dinich for ESPN, she said how the committee is not going to project. They're just going to go off of what they see, and that's how they're going to evaluate it. She said that they're not going to project. And then all of a sudden you hear Boo Corrigan the day after. They talk about how Florida State's a different team now that Jordan Travis is no longer healthy, now that he's not in the fall. Okay, wait a minute. You're projecting. Yes. So you're assuming, okay, because he's no longer there, that they're not going to be able to play – at the level that would equate for them being in the college football playoff. Okay, wait a minute. I get that. I get that. And you know what? They probably won't because look at the last two games, especially look at the ACC championship game against Louisville. They did not look good offensively. No, it was 16-6. It It was 16-6. I get it. But the very notion that, oh, the starting quarterback's gone, oh, there's no way they're done. You would have a point. But what is the one thing that you always learn in law school? What is the one thing that you learn in litigation? There's always a loophole. And usually most lawyers, they base their argument, they base their defense off of a previous court ruling. Look at the college football playoff back in, I believe, 2014. 
Ohio State was down to their third string quarterback, Cardell Jones. And right. guess what? They won yeah. the national championship. Exactly. Game. That's why they I think beat, go ahead. They they beat Wisconsin, I think, 59 to zero. And then they won, they beat, I think, Alabama in the semifinal. And then they won the national championship with their third string quarterback. So that's where the college football playoff committee, by saying, you know what, we're not going to project. And then <laughs> the final Sunday projecting, that's where I think they put their foot in their mouth. And that's why I think Florida State um, is going to always have that gripe. And then obviously you look at how Cardell Jones, the third string quarterback for Ohio State 10 years ago, how they were able to go ahead and still win the title. So it just, there's no way they were going to be able to please everybody. That's just the harsh, ugly truth about it. It just so happened that Florida State's the one that got the short end of the stick. Yeah, and Stan, I get it. And look, it's all about the money. It's all yes. about one of the sexiest matchups of the four teams that we can do. And like you said, Florida State right now uh, down to a third-string quarterback. In Like you just said, they didn't look good against Louisville. But you go undefeated in a supposed Power 5 conference. Yeah, I just think that. I, you got to be rewarded for that, Stan. I just think, yeah, I think, I, think it sets, I think it sets a bad precedent. And I just think that it – the, the the best thing saving them right now is that they don't have to worry about this next year. It'll be 12 right. teams next exactly. year. I do agree. And so you'll see teams next year uh, in the top 12 that'll probably have two losses that'll right. still be in the college football playoffs. So they don't have to worry about this again. And I mean, come on. Next year, we're basically going to four power conferences. Right. <laughs> ACC, SEC, yep. Big 10, Big 12. The Pac-12 is disintegrating in front of Pac our two. very eyes. Um, so... That's something that they won't have to worry about. So next year, obviously, everybody that wins their Power Four conference is going to automatically be in. And then you'll have, you know, the eight at large bids, per se. So that's the only thing saving them right now is that they know they won't be, in, be put in this situation again. Yep. Stan almost reminds me 2016 when the Raiders were down to Connor Cook, a rookie who had never started a game. I had to start that. in the playoff game against the Houston that. Texans against because Houston Texans. Carr was yep. out. And I think uh, Matt McCoy. Carr broke, the his, Carr broke his leg against the Indianapolis Colts. Right. I believe it was uh, Christmas weekend. It was, yeah. And then Matt McGloin yeah. got hurt, uh, uh -huh. I think, against Denver the following week. So they had to start Connor Cook. That'd be like the NFL. No, guys, we're not going to let you in because you're down to Connor Cook. Yeah. And we know it's, you know, it's, it, I, I get it. You're right, Stan. You got to just try to, I feel bad for the Florida State kids. I feel bad for that program. Yeah. But like you said, oh, yeah. next Definitely. we're going to 12 and, and everything should be good. All right, partner, before uh, we wrap this things up, got to get a uh, prediction for Sunday. Now, the Vikings are three point favorites uh, against the Raiders, uh, 1 05 p.m. kickoff in Las Vegas. Huh. Prediction, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I would go Raiders, Raiders 26, Vikings 20. Okay. I'm yeah. going to go with the Raiders also. I think uh, they've had a couple of weeks now to hopefully get healthy, as healthy as possible as you can be this time of year. Josh Dobbs is turning it over quite a bit for the Vikings, and I'm hoping that they can contain Justin Jefferson, uh, limit his big plays. But the Raiders actually have done a pretty good job, as you've talked about, Stan. They have done a good job of preventing the big plays so far this season. I don't think it'll be that high scoring. I'm going to guess 20-17, to 17, somewhere around in there. The Raiders uh, pick up a three-point victory and actually could actually move to six and seven with just four games remaining. So we'll see how it all plays out on Sunday, partner. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm hoping that uh, they go ahead and get back on that winning train. Just, you know, finish the year on a positive note. Right. Give Antonio Pierce the, a, an actual valid chance to go ahead and still be the uh, the, uh, the returning head coach and get that interim tag taken off. 
Agreed. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.